welcome to another episode with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and the entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore in the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. What good is a salesperson with five years experience if they've never been trained and have a hopscotch career of many short stops at companies that never invested in training their sales teams? Corey tells the old story. A guy walks past a construction site and sees five people laying brick. And he goes to the first guy and says, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, building a wall. Goes to the second guy, what are you doing? And he's like, making 12 bucks an hour. Listen to the rest as Corey Frank and me, Susan Finch, president of Funnel Media Group and Funnel Radio, go on without Chris Beal this week and talk about the concept behind Branch 49, a sales acceleration software and service that uses AI to score leads based on their preferred contact channels, while also dedicating a sales team to perform top of funnel and full stack revenue generation. We discuss the obligation that companies have to ensure sales professionals are trained correctly and with the good of the prospect and customer at the forefront, how to undo bad sales habits, and how to help sales professionals who were never trained prepare to work for honorable companies who value sales skills. This is part one of our two-part interview. Join us for this episode. Are you laying brick or making 12 bucks an hour? Then the focus of Youngblood Works and Uncommon Pro is we find companies and then we invest and or we'll lead the round or we'll do a pile on round on a funding place or we'll do like sales advisory consulting and what's your product market fit and stuff. But then it led to the creation of the accelerator. And the accelerator is where we have organizations all across the world, like 100 plus different, mainly in cybersecurity and ed tech, where we do top of funnel and we'll help them create their top of funnel activities, prove product market fit. And then we'll also do full stack. So if they want us to sell their product in their name, because they don't have a sales team, we'll do that. And that's branch 49. And so branch49.com is really like if we were going out like with maybe something like this and say, hey, you know, it's really Youngblood Works, but it's branch 49 is kind of the go to market, the, cons- the B2B kind of element um, with regards to what we do. It's like a VSA. Remember we had Val on about six months ago. Right. So we do similar, but we focus predominantly on cyber. And then we do all the messaging. So through Oren Claff, who we've had on before too, my buddy Oren, um, that's what we do on Uncommon Pro is we craft kind of the face melter messaging screenplays for folks. We have a technical sales division where we take cybersecurity content, educational content, And that's called Trisora. And so Youngblood Works is the parent. And then we invest and fund all these other different companies. Branch 49 is the one that's more germane to what we talk about at Market Dominance, which is, you know, trust-based conversations at scale. And we do that for companies. So want to talk, I mean, you gave me the overview of Branch 49 of Youngblood and things, but I want to talk about the impact that you guys are having starting people from a good starting point with good training rather than having to correct bad habits that people learn from first jobs where people have no clue how to train somebody and the strength and the advantage that all those people are going to have having Mm -hmm. gone through your programs and how many of them are already on their way to successful careers as they graduate debt-free. There's a point to me, almost a social responsibility 
And as successful business people, if we want to keep everybody being successful and growing and dealing with successful people, we have to put our time in and our effort in to getting people to that level before they even start down some career path, starting their own businesses, whatever it is. And so you guys have taken that responsibility and taken that lead. Yeah, you're making money from it and you guys are you know, benefiting and other people are too. That's not the point. It's that long-term investment in these humans that are choosing to be a part of this program. I watch too many people that I run across in B2B, B2C that have had horrible training, no training, partial training, no support, and they have no confidence. They're schwarmy. They're nobody you want to deal with, let alone, you know, share a lunch with dinner or a long-term relationship or refer anybody to. Where do they learn? Is it like they're just a victim of uh, you have the social more, the Kardashians and the Instagram and the selfie generation. Where do they learn that bad or not optimal sales behavior? Because they don't have enough experience to buy cars or houses or buy software yet. So they learn it from somewhere. Think think about the movie Tin Men. Yeah, right. Okay. That's way before the Kardashians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Okay. Weasels have been there all along. Mm -hmm. Snake oil salesmen. It has always been that time. It's a shortcut. It's lazy. It's survivor mode that people get into. And those are cycles that get repeated in households and by example. Yeah. That's where they see it first, no matter what the home life is like, whether it's fractured, whether it's all put together, but they watch these examples happening. Yeah. And they continue it. And then, yes, it is further emphasized, further supported through these fantasy things that we see on television, on Instagram, on everywhere. As if it's reality. And the lines are kind of blurred. I hear it from people in my daughter's groups. You know, you would almost think that they thought the reboot of Dynasty was really how it is. <laughs> like people are really like this. No, they are not. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, you don't understand. This is camp. I said it yeah. is not camp. I said, yeah, it's camp. It's campy. Reality TV, right? It's, it's, but they don't get what campy is. They actually think it's attainable. Yeah. And correct. And uh, lack of moral compass. I don't know. Maybe we don't have to get into yeah, that. Like, yeah. I mean, you and I've talked about that before that I understand you know, all these people. I'm spiritual. I just don't have to go to church. I don't have to do this. They have no communities that they are answering to mm-hmm. to hold them accountable because that'd be inconvenient and embarrassing and make them change. And mainly that's why people don't do that. And so they use it as their excuse. I hate religion. I hate structured this. I hate structured that. Well, the more we've all fallen away from all that whatever your faith is, but something that is not you, not the almighty dollar. Yeah. To guide us and for people to call us out as we don't live with all of our extended families. Like we used to, I'm away from all my cousins. My kids are away from their cousins. They're away from their nieces and nephews and their uncles that would call them on their crud when I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. And remember, I mean, when you grew up, when I grew up, there were people on us. We had so many sets of parents, so many people that, could give their opinion, could smack us on the back of the head. Like, what are you doing? Well, maybe that's interesting then that with the whole, Chris likes to really focus on the new virtual landscape of business, right? We're not going back to the office. No, we're not. One of the downside pieces of residue is just that in a familiar Familial, if you're in a small town and you got cousins and uncles, et cetera, you steal a candy bar from a drugstore, somebody's going to tell your uncle, who's going to tell your dad, 
if I'm working from home for you, I'm a sales rep working for my manager. Yeah, we have Zoom calls a couple times a day, account reviews here and there. But my daily behavior is a spreadsheet, right? With it's not what I'm doing, maybe how I'm dressing, what time I'm getting up, what I can't observe. Like our folks are 20 feet here. Here's all right. of them. Right yep. there, right? And um, I can see their body language. I can see they're hunched over. I can see when they're, right? All those little nonverbal cues that say, oh, I think the lead list sucks or I think it's time for jumping jacks or I think it's time for bringing in pizza. So maybe that's one of the downsides of having this kind of truly virtual culture is, um, is that level of accountability you're talking about. So with the extra time that we're all saving from not going into the office, from not having nonsense meetings all day long just to hear somebody else yammer on, what percentage of time should we invest? If we can spend three hours watching television that night, take 10% of that time, 18 minutes devoted to community. Whatever your downtime is, 10%, I dare you to invest in an accountability group whether it's your neighbors, your friends, your peers. I have three people that all own their own businesses within walking distance from my house. We are accountable to each other. We check Mm -hmm. in, we take walks, we brainstorm in person as we're walking the dogs, as we're blowing off steam, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. we do that three times a week. Sure, sure. So right there, and they'll remember and say, they'll call me, well, what happened to that thing you were doing? Well, how come that's not working? Oh my gosh, that's what you said? You might want to consider. That's that's powerful. Wow, that's great. You're lucky to have that. You can't hide, right? No, I don't want to. You don't want there's to. the difference too, because mm. I can't keep improving or succeeding or whatever it is if I am not willing to change. Yeah. And to look at the the ugly parts. That's so good. Something about principles, right? We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every single day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears were shed while watching Titanic kind of qualified. And we're back. Tell me some of the successes. I mean, I know there have to be so many highlights from right there at Branch 49 with everything that you're doing. Can you tell us a couple of what it used to be like, what happened and what it's like today for a few people? Yeah, you know, it it takes a back for a second. The concept came from kind of Chris's inspiration and our riffs over the years that, right, there needs to be a different training mechanism, boot camp, um, minor leagues system for bringing up the next generation of sales folks, right? And we had talked about that just a few minutes ago, right, is what are these cultural shackles that limit the folks from wanting to move into sales or doing it the, quote, right way. And so, you know, this concept of this being a finishing school for future CEOs. Yes. And as we've heard many times on this show, right, with Chris and all of our guests, is that if you're a CEO and you're not actively selling, there's a challenge there. I think it was Henry Ford who said the definition of sales manager is best damn salesperson in the place. 
And so, right. And today as a CEO, you can't just be product oriented or finance oriented. You need to be up front and center, whether it's selling stock in your company or it's helping your folks sell products. And it's not, as we've talked many times, it's not just cherry picking. Oh, give me the good leads. Right. It's having as the CEO do the cold calling. So they see what the quality of the lead lists are, the quality of the tech stack and, you know, the, the everything in the flow. So we set out here at Grand Canyon to create that. And we've had kind of an interesting A-B experiment. We've had students and grads from the university. So fresh, they didn't know anything. And then we had, let's call them killers, who had the thousand yard stare, who worked with other technology companies, cybersecurity companies sold in the past, and they came together. You would think then that this island of Dr. Moreau would happen where you have these two or these uh, Lord of the Flies where you have these two cultures um, where the the vets would kind of teach the younger folks. But what's interesting is what happened is we taught everybody the same way is this is the books you read. This is we use the, uh, the Sandler and the Orrin Cleft pitch anything methodology. You're going to journal every day. Uh, you're going to dress the part. We're going to teach you public speaking. We're going to teach you how to read a financial statement. We're going to teach breathing exercises. So when you speak, you speak properly, Zoom backgrounds, all that stuff. And you found that the killers, the ones who had experience, they really globbed onto this at a rate that was equivalent to what the new folks did. Because, and as you interviewed these folks after months and their performance went up, they realized that no one really taught them that before. When they started a new organization, it was all about product training. Yeah. And sales training was just a small piece of it. And they said, oh, you guys figure it out. And um, here's a list. Here's a list. And so they had to really unlearn a lot of the basic cliche type of techniques. Well, I just like to wing it. I just like to have my personality shine through in the interview. Right, Susan? It's uh, what's the strongest part of your sales process before they come on? Right. And I'd write it down. Rapport building, relationship building. And of course, they would say, well, probably my ability to build rapport and relationships. Like I showed it to them. I was like, how did I know that? Right. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's because they have, most folks have this mindset to have supplicative behavior that is needy, that I want to be liked. I want to be included. I want to be part of the tribe. And it, I think we had Warren on, what about six months ago? I think it was yeah. right. Warren Clough, pitch anything. And he talks about, you need four key elements in every sales humor. You need intrigue, you need curiosity. But most importantly, you need tension. And it doesn't mean you're over the top and you're aggressive or you're a jerk. It just means the ability where I'm going to come off as equal status and not supplicative or hat in hand. And if I come off as equal status or at least professional, knowing my world, you know your world, the success is going to increase. And um, so that's been one of the things that a lot of folks had to unlearn. So from a success story perspective, that's really neat to see is that people crave a process, a regimen, a structure more than anything else. Well, and they're seeing too that it works in short <laughs> order. They're seeing that it works. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, you're taking people that were tossed into the ring mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. no training. And most salespeople are not, I mean, even in retail, business to business retail, it doesn't matter. They barely get anything. It is all about the product, the widget that you're selling. Yeah. The service that you're selling, know it inside and out so you can answer any questions. That's good. That's yeah. really good because you don't want to sound like an idiot because why are you going to sell something to somebody you don't know anything about? Right. You know, we looked at birth order a lot too. Certainly the firstborns are very interesting to train. 
So I'm sure you've had experience with, right? First and onlys. I mean, they're just the singletons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, if it's not in the book, if it's not in the training book, then why isn't it in the training book? And it's tougher to call audibles in general, very justice oriented. So if you have a comp policy, you have a crossover policy with leads. If you have somebody grant a couple hours of PTO, you better have it equal across the board. Those are firstborns, especially firstborns. And then the lastborns, you're going to have the rule breakers, the comedians, the irreverent <laughs> folks. And you need a nice amalgam of both firsts and lasts. And the secondborns even, they're more of the melancholy, the people watchers. They're get along to get along, the consensus builders between the two. And so obviously it just comes out in the wash that we know who's a first and who's a last and a middle. That's fascinating. Um, But once we do the OMG or the Myers-Briggs, we've used them all here at the university. We can get access to all these tools. Right. Um, People always want the little mental pinprick blood test Rorschach of where do I rank? Where do I fit in? Like you were saying, yeah. Mm -hmm. what's my place here? Because I want to make sure I do my place right. Yeah. So I can be successful. And I think that's part of it is they're looking for that answer of, okay, what's my starting point? Where are the expectations of me? Mm -hmm. What do you know about me? And how can I blow that out of the water? That Yeah. Because they're all looking for their why. Right. Even though they don't they think they're looking for what because they post on Instagram this house or this boat or or this stack of money or or this trip. They think they're searching for the what. Right. And you you and I, right, of, of a certain age of of having families and and we see children and we've had a number of uh, team members work with us over the years. You realize that, OK, there's no or little nutritional value in shooting for a what without the why. And so one of the things that, that Chris has helped us a lot with is helping identify where the why, you know, man search for meaning is on the book list that, that these folks have. Any person can do a what if they understand a why. We tell a story, uh, oldie but a goodie. I, I'd give credit if I knew where this came from, but there's a guy walks past a construction site and um, he sees five people laying brick, Susan. And he goes to the first guy and says, hey, what are you doing? He's like, building a wall. Goes to the second guy, what are you doing? He's like, making 12 bucks an hour. Goes to the third guy and say, what are you doing? He's like, laying brick. And goes to the fourth guy and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral. And then finally goes to the fifth and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving men's souls. Now they're all doing the same thing. They're all laying brick, making six, 12 bucks an hour, building a wall. But it's the latter two who see building the cathedral and saving men's souls as the ones that probably are paying a little bit more close attention to detail, spelling in their notes, uh, picking up a piece of paper in the corner of the office, refilling the, the soda machine if it needs it, right? Not taking the last bagel in the morning. Those are the folks that really kind of make the culture sing. And then you find a lot of the folks who weren't taught that way. They have five years experience, they say. But they really have like one year, five times or six months, 20 times. Right. So you'd assume that the veterans would be the leaders, but it's actually the newer folks, the grads and the current students who this is brand new, who are so enamored with the shiny object of why finally I have four years of school and I finally figure out what I want to do versus probably people like you and I, right, who drifted, fell into sales because we're liberal arts folks. And that's just, I guess, what we what we do. We have a good personality and it's either drive a cab, 10 bar or, right, or jump into sales. 
one of my first jobs, I, my first two jobs, I didn't get myself. You didn't get yourself. No, my girlfriend got hired. And then she said, I need you to come work with me because we need another person. You're the only person I could work with. So you're drafted. So I was drafted in two different companies. The first one was a men's clothing store in the mall to sell, you know, David James clothiers and trying to sell men's casual wear, chinos, suits, you name it. And we killed it. We both quit though, because some people like too many inseams measured. Then we moved on and she got a job at a health club and in the call center. Oh my gosh, your name was drawn. You just won a two week free membership. Are you kidding me? This is so great. That was our first, that was my first telemarketing job. Mm. grabbing the names from the fishbowl and calling them up and getting them excited to come in. She would close them on the tour. That's so nice. we double team. So those were my first two jobs. And then I went into restaurants and stuff for a while. So it wasn't necessarily an intentional pathway or travel uh, traverse up the mountain to say, Hey, this is what I want to accomplish. But, you know, but isn't that funny though, Susan, that we talk with and most of the folks in our profession, because there's no formal sale. Like Ohio University has a great sales school and Texas and Baylor University, but Arizona State is getting one, but Grand Canyon University where I am. But, but a lot of universities, they don't have the sales school yet, right? No. Part of communication or marketing. Right. So you have folks who kind of fall into it and there's no LSAT or GMAT or, you know, again, Rorschach that you need to get into sales or not. It's steam the smear. You got a good personality. It's like the old animal house. Hey, we need the dues. Let's hire this person. And I think that kind of weighs. Uh, one of the other things that Oren says is people want what they can't have. People chase what moves away from them. And people only place value on that, which is difficult to obtain. Right. I'm sure you have. I know Chris has. I certainly have. You know, early in my career, you're interviewing for a sales position and they're hiring you 15 minutes in to the to the interview. And you first you're exuberant and enthused and this is fantastic and then you say wait a minute here right too easy too easy and i think that's part of the downside of a lot of sales organizations they don't make their process their neediness shows and it shows if i'm a recent grad and i graduate and i have a marketing major business major economics etc and i get offered three jobs one is a life insurance company. The other one is enterprise rent a car. And the third one, is, I don't feel like I really work for it. Like I needed to get into a top law school, for instance. And I think that when I start day one, that's probably festering a little bit. How valuable is this place if they'll hire anybody? Right. I had an, I was telling you earlier that went to Santa Fe. And I don't know if you know, I owned an art gallery years ago in oh, Laguna oh. Beach. It was contemporary Southwestern. So we visited one of the artists that I used to represent. And I was his top gallery. I was for all of our artists because I can tell a story. And I was selling their stories. And I only had artists in that I would want to invite into my home. Mm. It was all good yeah. people. Yep, good people. And so we decided to splurge. And we were going to buy a piece of art from this gentleman, Tom Wheeler, before we came back. And Tom was looking at my husband. Tom was looking at a piece. And it wasn't very big. And it was kind of cool. And then there was a, one that was twice the size. It would still fit in the suitcase. And I found myself selling that piece of art to my husband, who used to be my client in the gallery in an easy mark. <laughs> and I went right into that mode, telling him a story behind this piece that I've just seen for the first time. And see, this represents our family and there are four stones in here. And the hair up there shows humor. And that's us. Mm-hmm. And they were both dying. They said, you just sold your husband a more expensive piece of art. <laughs> 
And it made me laugh because it's still, once it's in you, sure, the right way. Were you taught how to sell? Was, was there a methodology? Or who taught you how to kind of sell with that proper narrative, that emotional arc that people want to be on a journey versus just winging it? Well, considering I've sold boat anchors, inflatable boats, windlasses, you name it. Those did not have stories. But when my when we ended up with this gallery years ago, my ex, they told stories. Mm. And that's what sucked us into wanting to buy that gallery because of the stories of every single piece of art, because they knew every artist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I realized people do not need art, but they need to justify the purchase to their friends. Mm. because it's extravagant and they mm. want a story to tell and they want to know the artist because the artist is a celebrity. And I watched this happen and I thought, well, the more stories I can amass and listen and pull out of these artists, I can share them and those pieces will go home, which they did. Got it. Mm. That's how, So I still do that though. I still sure. tell stories, but that's where I really mastered it. Mm -hmm. Well, look at funnel media group, right? I mean, you, all with between Chris and all your other guests and all your other podcasts that you have. It's just a collection of storytellers in different industries. Yes, exactly. And, uh, in fact, I don't think of any of the funnel media groups podcast. I don't think the one, the dozens and hundreds I've listened. I don't think you ever talk about product. There's no product. It's all about people's stories and experiences and learnings and lessons and things that nature, right? Right. And there isn't one person I've had a few people approach us. I've actually turned down a couple shows because I did not find them honorable mm. and I can't get behind and promote somebody that is not honorable or a message that isn't honorable and that I wouldn't be proud to say, Hey neighbor, you need them. Yeah. If I'm having to protect my neighbors from my shows and the hosts and their products, there's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. There's certainly, and even in hiring too, you see that, right. As you had said from which artists you bring out or not, is that's the, the decency quotient. What's somebody's decency quotient. And is it something that can be taught? Is it something that you experience over time and then you get burned enough and your spider sense tingles and says, you know, and to, 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 can sales reps be taught that with yes. prospects? Mm -hmm. They can. And I think part of it is letting go of that desperation feel. Yeah. That have to get the numbers, have to get the numbers, have to get the numbers. And once you learn that it's going to be okay, if that one doesn't work out, because there are four more that are better, let it go. And it gets reinforced to us when we have unscrupulous people that have taught us or that we have worked for, they didn't teach us anything, Sure. but they're forcing us, scaring us, yeah. manipulating us, badgering us to do whatever it takes to get them their goal. Mm -hmm. And it crushes our souls. <laughs> it right. does. It just chips away it little does. by little. It does. And it takes a while for people to recover from that. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys 
or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. 